In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So fifth installment, fifth of a five-part sermon series on the liturgy. You remember, can you think back that far when we started to gather again full liturgical and program offerings the first time this fall since March 2020? And we thought we've pivoted enough. We've done enough adjustments here and there on our worship. Let's come back, recenter, and look at what we do, why we do it, what's important to pull forward, and what it might mean for our futures. And we, we've talked about, from, from that very first session, the movement from bed to, to holy of holies as a journey up to the gates of heaven a journey up to the gates of heaven, and we've looked at so far the gathering, we've looked at the teaching, we've looked at the praise, we've begun to look at the remembrance, today we'll look at the dream and the empowerment, the, all of which comes from our Sunday morning. The idea is we'd be so inspired when we come that leaving, we'd be ready to live now as we know we will live then. A foretaste of the heavenly banquet the dream of God, the story, and empowerment. That's what we'll look at today. So if you remember, last time, fourth installment, we dropped off uh, on the, the dialogue between celebrant and people, looked at body posture. We indicated that she would, she would in essence, call in response, much like the, the call in response uh, process that a number of other churches hold on together, but that Lord be with you is exactly that, a call and response. And then moving, if you wanted to have your bulletin or 367 in the prayer book before you, we move from that call and response then to what's called the proper preface, a prayer that is in essence ushering us right up to the gates of heaven, right where the, 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 the canvas has been torn into the curtain from top to bottom. Bottom. That proper preface takes the celebrant. She sometimes will go off script. You're reading through, I see the words, we're there, I'm there, and then suddenly she's ad-libbing. No, she's in another part of the prayer book that's highlighting the themes of the season. If it's Advent, then the coming of Christ. If it's Christmas, then the birth of the Christ child, or now in Michaelmas or late Pentecost, echoing those themes of ordinary time. Now, very important, moving from the proper preface, it's ushered us right up to the gates of heaven. We talked in our third session about the movement from house church in the post-apostolic period to public worship or worship in the public square. And it's very important to note here that architects, architects needed guidance at this point and they took their cue from the fourth and fifth chapters of the book of Revelation. We don't read too much from the book of Revelation. Maybe there are a variety of reasons. Uh, others read it uh, in ways that make us uncomfortable or it's confusing or uh, it just doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the story. And yet, it's the chapters that architects were reading when a place like this was being first imagined in the fifth and sixth and seventh centuries of Christian history. Reading from the words of the writer of the book of Revelation, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. And all around the throne on each side, creation care folk take note, 
were the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around, and all of them were singing together with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. That's the 12 plus 12 plus 144,000, right? 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, all the people of God times a myriad of myriad, more than you can imagine. All the people of God gathered round the throne of God singing what? Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. That's the song we sing at the end of the age echoing the dream of Isaiah. Exactly. And then right after that, a much embattled phrase in the prayer book tradition, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As the celebrant says that, she makes the sign of the cross over herself. Who's heard that phrase before? Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Can you identify where you've heard it before? Yes, the Sanctus, right where we are. Right here is where we've heard it, the Sanctus. Other parts of the story in Scripture where you might have heard it. Say it again. Exactly. Someone said Palm Sunday. Remember that? The, the story has the residents of Jerusalem saying of Jesus as he comes in riding on a donkey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when the celebrant, when Madeline says that momentarily after the Sanctus and we sing it with her, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we're anticipating the coming of Jesus into this place, into this sanctuary, into the very into the very bread that we will share. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's why we make the sign of the cross in that place. Now, there's one more thing to pause on here very briefly because the writer of Revelation goes on and speaking of this crowd that's gathered, he says this, you are a ransomed people, ransomed by God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth forever. Now, this is why we're about the task of the Isaac Project at Christ Church. When you look at the statues, when you look in the faces of the stained glass windows around the room, we see the faces and the statuary of one particular tribe. And if the song we sing and the prayers we pray are meant to anticipate the whole people of God gathered around this throne, then we are meant to gather similarly and to surround ourselves similarly with images that help us anticipate that. And if there have been times in our history when we have been single-minded about the tribe we'd represent, it's time to read the book of Revelation. It's time to read more about where we're headed such that we might live now as we will live then. The Sanctus and the Benedictus Quivenit. Now, after this, we continue with the the story, the dream of God, the heart of which is embodied in the memorial acclamation. Often we'll say these words with Eucharistic prayer, bay, prayer A, excuse me, uh, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. As if the whole distilled down to those three sentences. Today, prayer B will say the same thing. We remember his death, we proclaim his resurrection, we await his coming in glory. 
That's the distillation of the whole story into this nut you can hold in your hand. I want to say this. Having gathered, having prayed, having sung, having read lessons from Scripture, having preached, no matter what, this nut gets recited. The core of the faith, the story, gets recited. It's like the times tables or the alphabet that you learn and practice over and over again. You can't make sense of a jazz musician's improvisation if you don't know the basic chord structure. You can't listen to Keith Jarrett's cologne concerts and marvel at his improvisation of Over the Rainbow without having heard Judy Garland sing Harold Arnold's tune over and over again. Or you can't appreciate and I'm hoping the musicians will fact check me up here, you can't listen to a 17th century English composer, let's say like Purcell, who writes that an F sharp be sung by the altos against the tenor's F natural and think that's anything but a wrong chord, wrong note, unless you know where it's heading. Am I even close up there? I got a thumbs up. All right, I got a thumbs up. So you got to know where it's going. Otherwise, it sounds like a wrong note in the moment. You might think it's a wrong note, but if you know the basic chord structure, know where it's going, even the wrong notes, the wrong notes contribute to the whole. The canon, the story, the dream is told every Sunday in that Eucharistic prayer. And then we make ready to receive. We we pray, we break bread, maybe one small footnote on the break, breaking bread, the fraction, back to the apostolic church and the, and the house church in the living room. The fraction was pragmatically just a moment where the priest was breaking up the bread into little pieces so that everybody could get some. The overlay, the spiritual overlay has had us break the bread and somehow be present afresh to the sacrifice of Christ, but we know that's a spiritual overlay, it's a, it's a sort of an evolution that the tradition has taken on and it may yet evolve other places in terms of where that may go in time. But prayers prayed, bread broken, we're ready to receive. And thinking now of the body posture of the one who comes forward at Christ Church, we stand or kneel. If one kneels, it keeps in mind, in some sense, the posture of the tax collector, the one who's reaching forward not unlike a beggar, for the very presence of God to be placed in his hand. If one stands, one stands in the glory of God's presence. One stands empowered, one stands inspired, grateful for the presence of our Lord being placed in your hand. We do both, and it's not that you need to always do one. There may be seasons when one posture is the place the Lord's led you, and another posture, another. Just bear that in mind as you come forward. But we receive, his, we receive his presence. The story and the dream both are pressed in your hand. You, you eat him and now are ready to move into the world. This is the empowerment part. We, we pray a prayer that you can't miss the themes in the post-communion prayer. We say a dismissal that you can't miss that's sending you back out into the world. We know, having walked up to the gates of heaven and peer, peeked into the holy of holies, that life must not be as it is right now. 
We're called for that life to be something different. We know that there's a straight line to be drawn between this altar and the justice of God. We're inspired to live now as we will live then. We're ready to be a people who walk out this door and turn the other cheek when one is slapped. We're ready to walk out this door and walk the second mile when we've only been asked to walk one. We're ready to walk out this door and because of Jesus, we will know that when we're weak, we're strong. That's what the Sunday liturgy is supposed to mean for us. That's what it's supposed to be as we come and go. May it be so for you and your household in these days and weeks as they unfold and lead us ever more deeply into the heart of his love. I've said these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.